Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. Delighted to have you with me today. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Well, we should begin with the supply chain. There's actually a, a very interesting story over at the Washington Post. It's interesting for how it phrases where we're headed. I I would note, by the way, that uh, the White House and a number of Democrats now are coming out, and I guess their strategy now is to insult you if you're worried about supply chain problems heading into Christmas. It's very weird to be antagonizing you for being concerned about this, but there's an op-ed in the Washington Post, uh, Micheline Maynard. For more than a century, business experts have been trying to dial up the United States' efficiency. Ever since Frederick Taylor published The Principles of Scientific Management in 1911, companies have focused on doing things more quickly and raising customers' expectations as a result. But Taylor's ideas didn't take into account the havoc a pandemic might do to supply chains and how that would blunt what a few months ago seemed like a looming resumption of normal life. Across the country, Americans' expectations of speedy service and easy access to consumer products have been crushed like a styrofoam container in a trash compactor. Time for some new, more realistic expectations. Fast food is less fast. A huge flotilla of container ships is stuck offshore in California waiting to unload. Shelves normally stocked with Halloween candy this time of year are empty, as I saw the other day at Target in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The issues have become so troublesome with alarming economic and political ramifications that the White House is stepping in, urging unions, port operators, and big consumer companies to work around the clock. And then she goes on essentially to say, We need to manage expectations. American consumers might have been spoiled, but generations of them have also dealt with shortages. Gasoline in the 70s, food rationing in the 40s, housing in the 20s, when cities like Detroit were booming. Now it's our turn to make adjustments. Eventually the supply chain will get straightened out. Yes, uh, that is true. The supply chain will sort itself out over time. Uh, But the idea that um, we need to somehow not be upset about this, 
it's the government and its policies that have had a large part to do here. I want to be really clear with you. This is really something you've got to understand. And, and to his credit, Ben Shapiro has been one of the people pointing this out more than anybody, and he's right. This is not a COVID problem. This is a government problem. COVID is not causing the shortages and supply chain problems. The government's response to COVID is causing those problems. But it's not just the government's response to COVID that's causing the shortage problems. My next door neighbor, Dave, uh, was my con law professor, constitutional law in law school. We didn't take a class on conning people. That's what law school itself is. Uh, constitutional law. He also is a, uh, he's a great lawyer. In fact, he came up with the argument that the uh, anti-Obamacare people won in the Supreme Court. His argument was that uh, Congress could not in Obamacare force states to expand their uh, Medicare, Medicaid programs. That was the argument that actually won in the Supreme Court and undermined a key portion of Obamacare. Uh, he's also a teaches and has taught for a very long time transportation law. And he sent me a note this morning about this uh, that I've been talking about. And uh, Dave's point is we got to remember there are a lot of government policies involved that are causing the shortages that the Democrats don't want to get out of the way. One of them is a proposition out in California related to independent contractors. Now, I should tell you that some fact checkers on Facebook who are left-leaning reached out to government bureaucrats in California who denied this was a problem. So if you make this argument on Facebook, uh, you're going to be flagged for disinformation, but it actually is real information. And if you reach out to the trucking companies in California, not the government Democrat progressive bureaucrats defending the law, the independent contractors and the like, they'll tell you this is a real problem in California. In California, they passed a law that says if you are an independent contractor and you're doing work for a company and to some degree you do it on a routine basis, you're an employee. The way independent contractor law typically works, if you set the time by which you want to work for someone and you control that time and you control how you do your work, then you're an independent contractor. If your employer controls, if the person you're working for controls the time you work and how you do your work, then you're an employee. If you control the time you work and how you do your work, you're an independent contractor. So I, for example, uh, I, I'm, I'm an independent contractor for, a, I write a, a column for World Magazine. And I'm an independent contractor. I write when I want to write and I write about what I want to write. They don't tell me what to write. They don't tell me when to write. They don't control my workflow. I'm an independent contractor. But in California, I would be an employee, and they therefore would not hire me because I write regularly for them, and they pay me regularly, and it's an ongoing relationship. So I would be an independent contractor. Uber drivers in California were, this was really the law. It was to get Uber and Lyft. Uh, so many people out there in the gig economy work for these companies, uh, and, and they, they set their own hours, but they're doing it for this company on a regular basis. Therefore, California decided you actually are employees. Well, trucking companies in California who often contract with independent contractors to drive their trucks can't do that anymore. If they go over a certain number of hours in their work relationship, those independent contractors are now considered employees. 
And if you're a trucking company, there are insurance implications for that. There are all sorts of workers' comp implications, unemployment insurance, all sorts of other implications that drive up the cost of the trucking industry. So they can't hire independent truckers. That limits the available pool of truckers who can be hired for jobs by shipping companies. On top of that, you're not allowed to drive a truck in California if it was manufactured before 2010. A lot of truckers keep their trucks in good shape and use them over the long haul because of their cost. In California, the law was changed so that you couldn't drive a truck uh, built prior to 2010 for environmental regulations. It was to incentivize people to over time switch to electric trucks, which have not yet become a viable option still. They haven't gotten rid of the law. Instead, what it's done is it's forced a lot of truckers out of the out of the business in California. In fact, I had a trucker uh, call the program a while back, lady, uh, who says she does not drive into California because her truck is older. She didn't want to drive into California anyway, but that she and a lot of her friends have to avoid California because of those regulations. Therefore, that limits the supply of truckers. The federal government intends to expand these sorts of regulations to incentivize electric 18-wheelers, and it's not going to happen. The infrastructure is not there, and Joe Manchin's not going to let them build it. But that's going to further complicate and limit the supply of truckers to be able to get there. On top of that, Dave was telling me that you're not allowed to drive 18-wheelers if you're 18 to 21. That limits the pool of available workforce and trainees to get into the workforce. Because if you're 18 to 21, you're going to go find a job or you're going to go to college. And then you're going to commit to a job structure, thereby uh, precluding you from ever even desiring to become a trucker. It limits the pool. On top of that, remember, truckers have to sit out for 10 hours a day. So if the ports are clogged and it takes six hours to pick up your cargo, you can only drive four hours. That limits the distance you can go. Now, another buddy of mine, Wade, called me not about clown farts, which is surprising because that's what he likes to talk about. He wanted to talk about the shipping crisis in California as well. He was the one pointing out to me that if I were to put this on Facebook, it would get flagged as disinformation because some liberal fact checkers uh, who are working to fact check uh, for Facebook flagged it as disinformation. And in fact, it's very real information that I have heard from trucking companies, from lawyers like my next door neighbor, Dave. It's, it's a real problem, the independent contractor rules in California. And the state denies that's the case, but the state has a vested interest in denying that's the case. But then the, Wade was also telling me something else. The truckers are not allowed to return the containers to the ports. So there's a shortage of the containers the frames, the, the the various things that they use to haul the equipment that they pick up at the port, they can't take those back to the port. So, for example, if you, if you do have a frame that the container sits on that you picked up for the port, and the frame being the wheels and stuff that you connect to the back of your, of your, um, of your, of the, 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 the front part of your 18-wheeler, you can't return that to the ports. So a lot of trucking companies have opened their facilities for you to be able to drop them off there, but then that's crowding them out. So you've got a crowd situation. A lot of it is caused, though, by the lack of of transportation worker drivers, but also it's caused by these regulations. Therein lies the rub. 
we've got a lot of government regulations that the Democrats have no desire to get rid of for environmental concerns that are exacerbating the problems. And now those problems are having a cascading effect. Uh, there's now a shipping container shortage worldwide. There's a shipping container shortage worldwide because so many people flow through, uh, pick up the containers and then return them. And now they can't only not to pick them up, they can't return them. So you've got containers piled up that would otherwise be back in use. And all of the available containers are, are being used. So how do you load new containers when there aren't any? There's a ship shortage now. So many ships are waiting at sea to get into the port of Los Angeles and, and Long Beach. And by the way, it's not just them. Savannah, Georgia, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, the port of New York, they're all having problems. So you've got massive piles of ships that are waiting. Ron DeSantis is encouraging ships that are uh, piled up on the West Coast to come to Florida. Well, to do that, you've got to go down through the Panama Canal, assuming the ship can fit. There are a lot of ships now that cannot fit, even as the Panama Canal has expanded and is still expanding. There are a lot of ships that go across the Pacific that can't fit through the Panama Canal. So the only way for them to get is to go down all the way down North America, Central America, South America, around South America and come back up. And that takes too long. So they're stuck using the ports on the West Coast. Those that can and can get passage through the Panama Canal probably will. The port of Miami is in good condition to pick stuff up. Uh, the port in Galveston is as well. Uh, the port of Jacksonville, the port of Savannah, they're backed up, but they're processing better than the ports of Los Angeles and the ports of, of Long Beach. So you've got a shipping container shortage. You've got a shipping shortage. You've got a trucker shortage. That hasn't even gotten into the trains now. You know, it's, it's becoming increasingly hard to get parts to repair the trains. So if you take a train out of commission to get it repaired, there's a backlog waiting on parts for the trains, some of which may be on the shipping containers that can't come through. We've created bottlenecks now. When you go to New York City, you see these signs at every intersection in Manhattan. Don't block the box. The box being that center portion of intersection where two roads intersect. Don't block it. If you're a car and the light turns red and you're stuck out in the intersection blocking the flow in the opposite direction of traffic, you're going to get ticketed. For a long time, when Rudy Giuliani was mayor, he had police officers at every intersection. When the light turned red, anybody stuck out causing the flow of traffic to, to be disrupted got a $100 fine. And it totally wiped out uh, blocking those because what happens then is you get gridlock where cars can't move in either direction because all the cars are spilled out into the intersections. So the flow of traffic north-south can't happen because the east-west lanes are blocking the flow. We essentially have gridlock now in the supply chain because there are shortages that are caused by other shortages that are caused by other shortages that are caused in large part by government regulations, many of which were designed for not efficiency's sake, but the environment's sake. And now they want to expand in the Green New Deal those environmental regulations, which is only going to make things worse. It's like the power shortages in Texas. The, te the lights went out in Texas during the cold snap because they had moved so much to renewable energy, to uh, solar power and wind. The windmills froze up. The solar panels were covered over in snow and there weren't enough coal burning plants and nuclear power plants to flip on immediately. 
to make up the excess supply. There were all sorts of cascading problems, and a lot of it was an incentive to roll over to renewables instead of um, things that baseload power. We're going to see that come to our power grid. We're going to see it right now in our supply chain because progressives haven't thought through the transition to something greener. They just want to impose it, and it's having disastrous consequences for the supply chain, for the power grid, for you and for me. A listener just sent me a note uh, that he works for one of the big tractor-trailer leasing companies, one of the biggest in the world. He says, our southern state shops are continuously running out of oil and fluid for the trucks. Most times there's no ETA on oil delivery. We're going to get to the point that we have to start downing trucks due to not being able to perform maintenance. Yeah, another problem there. Not good. The phone number here at the Eric Erickson Show, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. I have to correct the record. I said something yesterday that was wrong. I don't like to be wrong on the radio. I don't like to mislead you guys. So many people do it intentionally, and I I occasionally do and try to correct myself because I don't try to do it intentionally. Uh, Yesterday, I said uh, that I was talking about polling yesterday. And one of the things I said was that uh, it's hard to call cell phones because you're going to have permission to call a cell phone. And a pollster friend of mine said that's a misunderstanding Um, and it's not actually a permissions-based issue. What it is, is that you're prohibited from auto-dialing a cell phone number. You have to manually dial it. So now what is that? Well, there are programs that take every registered voter in a state, and you do, now let's say you do this nationwide. So you pour in every registered voter nationwide, And a lot of them have cell phone numbers. A lot of them are guests. And then a lot of them are just randomly generated. So let's just let, let's, if I did a random number generator and I want to focus on, um, I want to focus on area code 404. It's area code here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Well, then you have a random number generator that that generates the, the, the last ones based on precinct. So you got a 404, uh, a, a seven three eight, and then I'm I won't give the last four numbers because some idiot's going to try to call that number. Um, but it, so you do this, and and you call repeatedly, and you see if you get numbers, and then you see if you get someone to answer, and and then you see if you get them to stay on the phone, and you do a poll. With cell phones, you actually have to manually input. You can't do the computer generating the number. You actually have to put in uh, mine uh, four seven eight. I uh, <laughs> almost not not going to give you my cell phone number, um, but you have to actually have the operator dial the number. You can't have a computer do it, so that slows down cell phones. So let me let me tell you. I, so I want to correct that. That that's the problem with cell phones. But he also uh, let me read you something else. Uh, he says um, the biggest challenge with polling right now are non responses. Call enough people. And that's not that big a problem, except the cost of polling keeps going up. It's having the sample matching turnout. If a pollster doesn't have the right mix of Republicans, Democrats, and independents, that's the first problem. Or if they have too many or not enough minorities, that's the second problem. Uh, Another problem is not enough young voters because they don't answer. That's why midterms are now easier to poll than presidential years because the electorate is older in midterms. 
which is interesting to know. I, I did not realize that. But there you have it from a pollster. I want to correct the record. When we come back, we got to move on to some warning signs for Democrats. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. I would like to go to the phones. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to Heather calling first today. Heather, welcome. Well, Heather, let's see. I bet we're having just another issue here. Um, 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 let me make sure it's, it's, I want to make sure it's not on my end because we're, yep. All right, Heather, we're going to have to, let's put you on hold and make sure we can get you. <laughs> All right. Now we'll work on the phones here. Just be patient. Okay. Um, I, I can't hear Heather, so we need to move on to, well, a, a couple other notes real quick on the supply chain though, because I'm getting emails from a lot of people about just how convoluted it is. Uh, the part supplies and everything else that are uh, people are running into the lack of oil for 18 wheelers right now, like uh, the, the oil for the engines, the lack of parts for the trains, and it's a cascading effect. But on top of it all, is a lot of government regulation. Uh, the Biden administration was rolling back some of the things that Donald Trump uh, did to ease stuff. So, for example, and this is this is a good one. Um, I have a brand new uh, Yukon SUV, a Denali, and I like it, but it comes with the auto start stop. It's infuriating. Now, you and I both know that over time, constantly starting and stopping your vehicle adds to the wear and tear on your engine. And in order to make cars more efficient now, for a while, the government insisted that car manufacturers do the start-stop, where when you're at a light, your foot's on the brake, your engine stops. And then the moment you take your foot off the brake, your engine starts up again. It can, to some degree, be a hazard. I've already now found twice... Uh, that I move from the brake to the gas and it it causes my, uh, it stutters the car if I do it too quickly. Now, thankfully in my car, I've got a button where I can turn off the auto start stop. Donald Trump got rid of it. And at the uh, mid, if you bought a car after June of 2020, you could buy it and they could uh, take out the auto start, stop start feature. Now, because of the shortages, a lot of cars couldn't. So, for example, with my car, I, I I wanted the car, and I couldn't wait, did not have time to wait uh, on the auto uh, to, to get one that had the auto stop start gone. So I got the one that has the auto stop start, but it's got the button I can turn off. It is ridiculously annoying. It is genuinely annoying. Uh, I do not like it uh, in any way, shape, or form. I push the button now out of habit every time I get in the car to turn it off. So it's not a big deal for me. But some cars that were made uh, before you could disable it, well, they're around. Or the manufacturers put the button in the most obscure part. My my daughter's car has it, and it's in an obscure location. Uh, you you got to search to find the button to turn off the auto stop start. It's just, it's a ridiculous feature and it adds to the wear and tear of the engines. Um, the Biden administration is apparently rolling back uh, the Trump 
rollback so that uh, we'll go back to them being mandatory in cars, which is just infuriating because what it does, and by the way, it's not a conspiracy of the auto manufacturers. I've seen people, some people suggest this. Some people have suggested it is a conspiracy of the auto manufacturers that the auto manufacturers want this because it does increase the wear and tear on your car and that you are more likely now to not have a car that lasts you 10 years. That is, by all reckoning and everything I've read from all sorts of sources, not true. They actually fought this regulation and the Obama administration imposed it on them anyway. Now, I want to shift gears. There are warning signs for the Democrats in Virginia that are harbingers of bad things to come. I keep an eye on Virginia because typically if Virginia is a wipeout for the Democrats in the year after a Democratic president, really the Republicans do the same thing. If it's a wipeout for the party that controls the White House, it's going to be bad for that party in the next year. So, for example, in 2010, the Republicans won the governor's mansion in Virginia, uh, and they really just just annihilated the Democrats in the state legislature there, which was a harbinger of bad things to come for the Democrats in 2010 nationally. When Donald Trump became president uh, and you, you had the Democrats wipe out the Republicans in Virginia the next year, it became a harbinger of what would happen in 2018. So the Democrats are paying attention to what's going on in Virginia right now, which is why, even though I'm not on any radio stations in Virginia, I feel compelled to cover the story because it is a harbinger of what's to come. And Virginia has gone so far blue now that if the Republicans are even close There's a problem for the Democrats. Terry McAuliffe is their nominee. Now, I got to put this in perspective for you. Terry McAuliffe, you will recall, was in a debate with Glenn Youngkin several weeks ago. And he said he was, Terry McAuliffe said he was opposed to parental involvement in education. It should just be the school boards. We like the school boards. Parents shouldn't be showing up saying what they want their kids taught. McAuliffe for three weeks doubled down on this, tripled down on this, quadrupled down on this. Democrats insisted that this was an issue that only Republicans care about. Only Republicans care about critical race theory. Only Republicans care about the schools being closed because of COVID. Only Republicans care about masks in schools. Only Republicans care about the transgender education nonsense. Only Republicans care. For three weeks, McAuliffe and the Democrats collectively have doubled, tripled, quadrupled down that this was not an issue that would hurt him with the voters. Last night, Terry McAuliffe released a new ad in Virginia. Listen to this ad. As parents, Dorothy and I have always been involved in our kids' education. We know good schools depend on involved parents. That's why I want you to hear this from me. Glenn Youngkin's taking my words out of context. I've always valued the concerns of parents. It's why as governor, we scaled back standardized testing, expanded pre-K, and invested a billion dollars in public schools. I'm Terry McCall, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad because working together, we can give our kids the education they deserve. Um, You don't, you don't for three weeks 
double, triple, and quadruple down and then say, ah, he's taking me out of context. That suggests your own polling is showing that it's hurting you. Charlie uh, pointed out this is very much like the, the Christine O'Donnell uh, in Delaware thing where she had to run the ad says, I am not a witch after people pointed to some of her prior statements. Well, you know, I myself occasionally incompetent, a- occasionally incapable. Ah, stop, but occasionally fire up the audio too quickly. I myself put this together. I didn't have anybody help me. I did it all by myself. I'm just taking Terry McAuliffe says he was taken out of context. Let's hear Terry McAuliffe ourselves. I want you to hear this from me. Glenn Youngkin's taking my words out of context. I've always valued the concerns of parents. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. You don't want parents coming in in every different school jurisdiction. That's what Terry McAuliffe actually said. He doesn't want parents telling schools what to teach. He doesn't want parents coming into every school and every jurisdiction. I want you to hear this from me. Glenn Youngkin's taking my words out of context. I've always valued the concerns of parents. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. You don't want parents coming in in every different school jurisdiction. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you actually do. We should also note Terry McAuliffe has always... um, he has always sent his kids to private school and opposed school choice so other people couldn't send their kids to the same school. Now, the larger issue here is not Virginia. The larger issue is nationally. Uh, for Terry McAuliffe to spend three weeks doubling, tripling, quadrupling down and then to pivot to, I always take it out of context. I think parents should. Well, you know what? That suggests he's seeing something in his own polling and in turnout numbers that hurt him badly. Do you know you can get a pretty good sense of the election before election day? You get a pretty good sense of it based on early voting numbers. You know, we can tell who's voting early. We can tell who's voted. We can tell where they're voting. We can tell probably who they're voting for based on their prior habits and they're giving and where their votes are turning out. So if Terry McAuliffe is looking at early voting numbers, and by the way, they had the souls to the polls effort this past Sunday in Virginia, and I'm hearing word that it was disastrous for the Democrats, that the, the black voter turnout on Sunday was not as good as they expected it to be, as good as they needed it to be. I still think that Terry McAuliffe can win more likely than not will win, but Glenn Youngkin is getting closer and closer in the polling, and not only is he getting closer and closer, the way McAuliffe is responding, it suggests they think Youngkin can win. And if he does, it's a disaster for the Democrats because it will demoralize them. Back in 2010, Democrats convinced themselves. Well, there were two camps, to be honest with you. Was it just one camp? There were two camps. So uh, one of the camps of the Democrats was that let's pass Obamacare, ram it through without any Republican support, and the voters will reward us for doing it, and we will mitigate the off-year election damage. Another camp of the Democrats was 
The voters will punish us for doing this, but it's worth doing. And when they come to their senses, they will restore us. Many of the Democrats actually were in that camp. They knew historically they would lose, but they thought it was the right thing to do. They also thought that they would not lose as badly as if they did nothing. And so they did something. And they were historically, devastatingly annihilated. The damage done to the Democratic Party in 2010, you had to go back to 1894. 1895, was it 1894 or 1896? I think it was 1894. The damage to the Democratic Party was so extensive all the way down to dog catcher that the Democrats to this day are petrified of 2010. Now, there are new Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who has no institutional or living memory of it. She was young, not in politics at the time, not paying attention. But the Democrats who are in Congress, oh, they remember. Y'all, you you can't, I, I, I can't really explain this one to you if you're new to politics. The 1994 was a sea change. For the first time in 40 years, Republicans took over the House of Representatives. They had had the Senate during Reagan's early days. They were called accidental senators. Reagan was so popular and had such big coattails in 1980. A number of people got elected to the U.S. Senate who only served one term and were wiped out thereafter. They were accidental senators. No one expected them to win, and they did because of Reagan's coattails. 1994 was this huge wave. It was when the South finally flipped from Democrat to Republican. It had been building over time, but no one really expected it to happen like that. And it was a sea change. But, and this is really, really, really important. The sea change that happened in 1994 happened at the federal level. People forget this about 1994 and the Gingrich Revolution. The Republicans took Congress. They did not take states. Those states in the South still stayed Democrat. Fast forward to 2010. No, the Republicans didn't pick up the Senate. They headed in the right direction. But remember, the Democrats had a 60-seat majority. It took a little while for the Republicans to get it back. But the Republican victory in 2010 was so big, and it wasn't federal. The Republicans, for the first time, controlled the majority of state legislatures outright, both houses. They controlled the majority of governor's mansions, and they began to pick off municipal elections. So you had in counties in the South that had been long-term Republican, in 2010, suddenly they woke up the next morning and their their county commission was majority Republican. Their sheriff was suddenly a Republican. Their DA was suddenly a Republican. Down to the, the dog catcher, they were suddenly Republicans. There were parts of North Carolina, there were counties in North Carolina that went to sleep the night before the election and they were totally Democrat and woke up the next day and they were totally Republican. That didn't happen in 94. It waited until 2010 for that major flip in those Western counties in North Carolina and elsewhere to flip. That's how big it was. That's why the Democrats are so nervous about what's happening in Virginia because Virginia inarguably has trended so far to the Democrats that if Youngkin is close, it's going to be bad next year for Democrats. If Youngkin wins, 
It's going to be a bloodbath next year for Democrats. Now, you want to help? You, you, you want to help? You want to help the conservative cause because the conservative cause helps this? Why don't you become a subscriber to Patriot Mobile? Use them as your cell phone provider. Why? Because they give a portion of their profits to help the pro-life movement, to help the Second Amendment movement, to help the conservative cause. And, and those people then help build conservatives around the country, conservative infrastructure. You can do that by being a customer of Patriot Mobile. They share your values. They share your commitment to the conservative cause. And they're a great company. They're good people, good Christian conservatives. And you get free activation with my name. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. You can go on their website, patriotmobile.com. You can see their coverage map. They've got 5G. They've got data. They've got voice. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or you can call them, 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them Eric sent you. They will give you free activation. Website again, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. If you are in the business of business and you need to grow the business, reach out to First Liberty. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they can help your business grow. Big deals, though. Six figures or more. That's what they do. That's what they specialize in, and they're really good at it. FirstLibertyGA.com. Have you ever had one of those moments of brain fart where you're like, I was about to say something, and then I totally forgot. I know what I was going to talk about. I'm getting old. Remember when Donald Trump was mocked for suggesting uh, if you took down Robert E. Lee's statue, uh, they would start taking down George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and uh, the founders. They would The founders would be persona non grata. Well, New York City is doing just that. Turns out Donald Trump was right. From the New York Times, after a debate over Thomas Jefferson's legacy, and his history as a slaveholder, city officials delayed deciding on where to display the statue, but Thomas Jefferson's statue will be removed from New York City's council chambers. For more than 100 years, a seven-foot-tall statue of Thomas Jefferson has towered over members of the New York City Council in their chambers at City Hall, a testament to his role as one of the nation's founding fathers and the primary author of the Declaration of Independence. But for the last two decades, some black and Latino, I'm surprised they didn't say Latinx council members, citing Jefferson's history as a slaveholder, called for the statue to be banished, a push that gained momentum in the last year. They all said conservatives who pointed this out would were crazy. But, you know, we've seen this game played before on uh, just the alphabet gang's advances and what they've demanded. And, no, oh, we'll never have boys competing against girls on the girls' team. And then we did. And then they called us bigots. 